today I wanted to talk about something that I have been asked a ton about. I feel like it is pretty controversial in the news and the media. If you look on Google, it's you really don't know if it's good or bad. And I have a lot of patients that have a lot of confusion regarding this topic. So I thought I would do a short uh video or webinar on soy so whether or not you should fear soy because I want people to be informed when it comes to their health and especially when it comes to food so that you know whether or not you're avoiding something like the plague or you're including it in your diet and if so how much what form what type and if at all so I want to cover the latest research on common health concerns with respect to soy. I want to give you enough information so you can understand why you should or should not fear soy. And why I did this topic, I kind of alluded to at the beginning, but unfortunately, misinformation spreads like wildfire. I want you to fear the right things. So things like plastics that have horrible endocrine disrupting chemicals. I'd rather you focus your efforts on avoiding things like that uh, rather than things that are certain foods or whatever else. I also don't want you to fall into a trap of looking at foods as good or bad and really starting to fear a lot of foods and then you end up looking at your diet and it doesn't include anything and that just makes life a lot harder. I also want you to get the proper information to help you make the best and most informed choices for you and your family and that's really the whole point of why I like to educate and why I have a passion for uh, giving information and giving the right information from the right sources so that you can kind of take that information and make the decisions that you need to make for your family. So let's just start with why soy is a problem. So what is the actual problem? So I want to talk about a little thing called glyphosate and if you have heard of it or haven't heard of it, here it is. Uh, this is a herbicide. It is a, basically a pesticide. It is widely used in the world and it is applied to several crops all the time. This includes soy. Um, if you're watching the video, I don't know why I don't didn't write soy here, but including soy. So that's what we're talking about. Um, it does and it has been shown to have connections to things like autism, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, and cancer. So that's pretty scary. And it's been found in soy-based infant formulas in Brazil, which is interesting, but I'm going to get to why I put this in here and why that's relevant. Uh, and interestingly enough, a study in frog and chicken embryos reported a high incidence of birth defects in regions that had an intensive GM soy planting. So that's genetically modified. And this has raised concerns on the teratogenic potential, so harm, harm to the fetus, of glyphosate-based herbicides. So basically they looked at frog and chicken embryos and they found that uh, it really impacted their embryos. So they are concerned about it being teratogenic to our embryos. And now it, you could say, okay, they use glyphosate on soy, but don't they use it on a whole lot of other things? So is it the soy or is it the glyphosate? Like what is actually causing the issue? So I looked into the research and basically this was a 2017 study. So I'm going to go through the research. I'm going to tell you what year the study is and I'm going to give you kind of the gist. If you're wondering or you want more information or you want me to send you the link, uh, comment below this video. I can always post the link to the study because I have them in my notes. So if you're interested in knowing more or you like reading journal articles, you can definitely check that out. Uh, so a 2017 study fed rats soy milk. So they basically did one group of rats 
um, sorry, two groups of rats, they did soy milk with or without glyphosate in different doses. So they basically looked at groups of rats. One group they gave soy milk. One group they gave uh, soy milk with glyphosate and they put 50 milligrams of glyphosate, glyphosate per kilogram. And then another group, they did 100 milligrams per kilogram of glyphosate in the soy milk. And this was during a pre-pubertal period in male rats. And so they found that the animals treated with soy milk with glyphosate, didn't matter the dose, so both doses showed a decrease in spermatids number, so decreased sperm, a decrease in the diameter of their seminiferous tubules, so kind of where the sperm comes out of, and an increase in abnormal sperm morphology. So their sperm were not only lower, but they actually were uh, abnormal in the their shape. So this study does give light onto the fact that it is this it is the glyphosate and not the soy alone because they these same effects were not found in the rats fed soy without the glyphosate. And then an interesting thing to look at is organic soy versus genetically modified soy. And so uh, research found that organic soy bo- soybeans showed the healthiest nutritional profile with significantly more total protein and more zinc. Organic soybeans also contain less total saturated fat and total omega-6 fatty acids than both conventional and genetically modified soy. Genetically modified soy also contained high residues of glyphosate, and that's that herbicide I was just talking about. And so when we look at omega-6, why is omega-6 bad? We hear of omegas all the time. Why is it good to have less? Um, The reason is is because when we look at omegas, we're looking at omega-3, 6, and 9. When we look at our standard American diet or the Western diet, we actually have a high amount of omega-6s in our diet, things like canola oil. A lot of these processed vegetable oils are very high in omega-6. Problem with that is that omega-3 and omega-6 actually compete for the same receptors. And so when we have a diet that's very rich in omega-6 and low in omega-3, that comes in fish and flaxseed and that sort of thing, we're really out-competing the omega-3 and the omega-6 is winning the majority of the time. And that causes inflammation. And so looking at the rest of the research... um, I'm just going to go through it really quickly with the research with respect to different conditions. And then, again, if you want to look at any of it further, uh, you definitely can. I can send you the article. I can post it below this video. But I just want you to give, I just want you to get a summary and understand the latest information out there, uh, what the conclusions are from the research articles, the high quality evidence, not just what Google says or what a blog post says or anything else. Because I want to make sure that you're getting your information from the right sources, whether it's positive or negative. So the first thing is basically looking at um, the intro of soy and effects on human health. So when we're looking at soy, we're talking about really the isoflavones. Uh, This is genistein and daidzein. And basically, this is present in significant quantities in legumes, but mainly soybeans. Um, They have a really high amount. And so these are bioactive compounds, and they are, are known to have mildly estrogenic properties, and they're often referred to as a phytoestrogen. So this is why the controversies come up, is because we hear estrogen and we think, oh my gosh, that is horrifying. So we don't want anything that says estrogen, because all we've heard when we hear estrogen is things that relate to cancer. And so main processing steps for soy include steaming, cooking, roasting, uh, fermentation, and basically we're going to have different products. So we have miso, natto, soy milk, tofu, and 
Processed soy foods are an integral part of regular diets in many Asia-Pacific countries. So China, Japan, Korea have a lot of soy. Um, in the last two decades, there have been a concerted effort to try to introduce soy into the Western diets because of the health benefits. The isoflavones have been seen as a really helpful um, benefit, but a lot of people are scared because of those estrogenic effects. Um, however, given the research, it has been linked to various health benefits such as reduction in cancers, um, cardiovascular benefits, breast and prostate benefits. And so there is a lot of mixed reviews with respect to that because of the scary estrogens um, and the fact that people don't want to consume estrogen and, and rightfully so. So the first thing I want to look at is the thyroid because this is the one that uh, a lot of people who have thyroid disorders have been told to steer clear of soy. So I want to look at the research and we'll kind of break it down. So first thing, a 2011 study looked at um, basically patients are randomly assigned to either a low-dose phytoestrogen, so they would have 30 grams of soy protein, um, or a high-dose phytoestrogen and they would have... Um, 30 grams of soy protein with 16 milligrams of phytoestrogens versus the low-dose had 2 milligrams of phytoestrogens. They were supplemented for eight weeks and then they crossed over. So this is actually a really good quality study because they basically took the group of people and they did the same intervention. So a problem with a study oftentimes would be they take two groups, one group consumes one thing, one group consumes the other, and then they kind of just compare the outcomes and see what happens. With having a washout period, you have the same people. So I would consume the first intervention and then I would consume the second intervention. So I can actually see in the same person what different interventions do. And so the conclusions of this study was they found a threefold increased risk of developing overt hypothyroidism with dietary supplementation of the high dose or 16 milligram um, soy with people who had subclinical hypothyroidism. However, this is found to, it was also found to significantly reduce insulin resistance, reduce inflammation, and reduce blood pressure in these patients. So basically the conclusions of this study were that if you were subclinically hypothyroid, so you're not, you're not on medication, your numbers are okay, but they could be a little bit better. If you were to consume a high dose of soy for an eight-week period time, that can actually give you an increased risk of developing hypothyroidism that would need to now be treated, threefold increase. So that's actually really significant. Uh, 2018 study uh, basically looked at, uh, they're wanting to determine the effect of high-dose so soy phytoestrogens. So the study from 2011 looked at uh, six, two milligrams of phytoestrogens versus 16 milligrams. This one's actually looking at high dose, which is 66 milligrams, and it's looking at on thyroid function in subclinical hypothyroidism. So same thing. These people had numbers that were okay. They didn't have hypothyroidism yet, but they were in that subclinical range. So they were kind of at risk. So these patients were randomly selected to go to either 66 milligrams of phytoestrogens with 30 grams of soy protein or no phytoestrogens with 30 grams of soy protein. And this was known as the placebo um, for eight weeks. Again, they washed it out for eight weeks and then they crossed over. So this is the same type of study where it's the person taking the intervention and then they're taking the other intervention. So it's a really great, uh, a really great study. And so they found that two patients in this trial progressed into overt hypothyroidism after the high dose. Um, 
TSH, free thyroxine, so that's your T3, and sorry, free thyroxine and triiodithyrine. Sorry, it's late. Um, Iodithyronine did not differ. So basically, they're saying that uh, the blood levels didn't change. So thyroid stuff didn't change. Um, Only two patients progressed after the high dose. And so they concluded that the dose of 66 milligrams of soy phytoestrogens did not increase the overthyroid failure rate um, and that it didn't change their values. So take that as you will, but this was in 2018. And then a 2019 study found that soy supplementation has no effect on the thyroid hormones and only very modestly raises TSH levels. The clinical significance, if any, of the rise of TSH is unclear. So they were saying that it modestly might raise it and it's really unclear as to how much of an impact it has. So what my conclusions are, um, I would say it's quite unclear. Some studies we see it raise, um, some studies we don't. Um, It depends how large these studies are also. But I would say if you are someone who has overt hypothyroidism, um, consuming soy, probably not the best idea. If you are someone who has a family history of thyroid issues and you may be a little bit subclinical, I don't think soy once in a while is going to harm you. I think that you shouldn't have a diet predominantly with soy every single day. You're not even eating tofu for every dinner. But I also think that I wouldn't want to do that with anything. So I would say if you are someone who has a thyroid risk, be cautious. If you are someone who doesn't and your thyroid levels are fine, I would say your soy intake is fine. With endometriosis, so you guys have seen this. I posted about this in the group um, after my endometriosis lecture, my endometriosis webinar, but I just wanted to reiterate, a 2017 study said uh, no evidence found that urinary phytoestrogens were associated with a higher risk of endometriosis diagnosis in either a sample of premenopausal women or in a surgical sample. So they found that the soy these women consumed did not impact whether or not they developed endometriosis. A 2007 study found actually a reduced risk in Japanese women who ate soy. But a 2019 study found regular soy consumption was found to promote the development and progression of endometriosis. And you're probably thinking, what? So I wanted to take a look into this study a little bit more. First of all, This was a 2019 study looking at um, those who were fed soy infant formula as opposed to traditional infant formulas. Secondly, this study was done in rats. So they were fed various soy preparations pre-puberty versus rats who were fed a soy-free diet. And so the conclusions were that regular soy consumption may promote the development and progression of endometriosis in adulthood, especially when soy content in the food is more than 10%. So this may possibly mean that limiting intake in younger years would be important. Although, number one, this study was done in rats. um, And also, infants being fed soy formula would be consuming a lot of soy. So if you're substituting this for regular formula, you you know how much infants uh, consume a day. That's all they're eating predominantly for the first year of life. So if it is soy, maybe it's not a great idea for these infants to consume soy in that early on and that often. Um, Also, when I noted at the beginning of the presentation that infant formula, soy formula in Brazil was found to have high residue of glyphosate, 
it makes you wonder if the effects are because of the high volume of soy, uh, because possibly the herbicide that is in the soy, or a little bit of both. Looking at diabetes, uh, looking at a 2019 study, I found this really interesting. They did patients with controlled type 2 diabetes. So if you were diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, whether you were controlled with diet or with metformin, so that's the most common medication given, you were in this study. And so they gave soy protein plus or minus cacao for eight weeks to these patients. And they actually found that soy isoflavones were shown to improve insulin resistance and they LDL, which is your bad cholesterol. So they improved these things and cacao didn't have any added benefits. So the soy on its own was actually able to help with insulin resistance in diabetics and cholesterol. I found this interesting study on cavities. Um, this is a 2019 study and they basically uh, said that they wanted to compare your teeth, so the enamel, the mineral content after the consumption of bovine milk, so um, regular animal milk versus soy. And they actually found that soy is um, more likely to increase the risk of cavities because of its low calcium bioavailability. So they weren't as able to absorb the calcium from the soy milk versus like an animal milk or a, a cow's milk. So they found that that could increase cavity risk. However, I think that um, this could be taken with a grain of salt uh, depending on how else you're getting your calcium. Because if that's the conclusions they're making, uh, that it's because of the lack of calcium availability, then we need to really look at the sources of calcium that we're consuming because there are a ton of vegetable sources of calcium that we can get in our diet that in this case may actually help to reduce the risk of cavities. Um, and if the calcium is the only reason, the lack of calcium is the only reason for the cavities, then that would make a lot of sense to be able to do. So that doesn't mean that you can't drink soy and still eat enough calcium in your diet. Next thing I wanted to talk about was colon cancer or gastrointestinal cancers. Um, a few studies I wanted to look at. The 2016 study found that there was a significant, it was significantly associated with a reduced risk of colon cancer. CRC is colorectal cancer risk um, with soy fruit foods and products. A 2016 study looked at soy intake and found out it was associated with a small reduction in GI cancer risk. And a 2017 study found that uh, V-glycin, which is something that soy derived, actually had potential activity against colon cancer cells, uh, which was really, really interesting. So they were actually saying that it would help to um, fight and reduce it and can help suppress these cancers, which is really, really great and interesting. Breast cancer. Um, there's a lot of people who have a family history of breast cancer or have breast cancer or had breast cancer and they're really, really scared to consume soy because they're worried that it's going to act like an estrogen. So I really wanted to dive into what research I could find with respect to breast cancer. So let's start with the most recent, a 2019 study that found that pre-diagnosis soy, so people who before they were diagnosed with breast cancer, their soy intake is associated with actually a small reduction in postmenopausal uh, breast cancer. So that's interesting. 
A 2016 study looked at over 11,000 women from the USA and China and showed that post-diagnosis soy intake, so women who already had breast cancer and then consumed soy, actually statistically significantly reduced recurrence of the cancer and improved survival. And then a 2013 study looked at uh, soy and found that it was associated with a reduced risk of breast cancer incidence, recurrence, and mortality. So same findings from 2016. And soy does not have estrogenic effects on humans were what this study concluded. They also concluded that soy was safe for breast cancer survivors. While there was no clear evidence of harm, better evidence confirming safety is required before the use of high-dose isoflavones can be recommended for breast cancer patients. So they were saying that... Again, like I was saying before, a modest amount of soy in your diet is actually shown to reduce breast cancer risk and actually to improve um, longevity, reduce mortality, and reduce recurrence. Statistically significant. So it wasn't just a small amount. Uh, But again, like I said, you don't want to be consuming soy every day, every meal. I would say a couple times a week is a fair amount. And for those of you who are, are... not drinking dairy milk and you're drinking soy milk, I think that's completely fine. But I always say to change up your milks, not just because of soy specifically, but because having one type of milk can actually make you develop a tolerance or a sensitivity to a milk. So I always change up my milks. Every time I go to the grocery store, every time I run out, I go from soy milk to oat milk to cashew milk to almond milk to hemp to hemp milk, whatever you can find uh, to change up your milks. And then people are thinking, okay, so I'm drinking soy milk. I don't want to drink a lot of soy milk. And so I wanted to look at this recent study uh, to figure out whether or not dairy was better. And it's really interesting because a lot of people would just assume like, oh, soy is the problem and nothing else is the problem. But this study is from February 2020. So it's literally this year. So I thought it would be interesting to include. Uh, The study contains 52,795 North American women initially free of cancer and they were followed for almost eight years. They found that there was no clear associations between soy products and breast cancer independently of, of dairy. So those who consumed soy products throughout their life, they were followed for these eight years. They didn't find any associations. They also found higher intakes of dairy calories and dairy milk were associated with an increased risk of breast cancer of 22%. So a 22% increased risk from dairy milk of breast cancer. They found that full fat and reduced fat milks produced similar results. So whether it was a 2%, whether it was a skim, whether it was a 1%, whether it was homogenized, it didn't matter. It all increased the risk of breast cancer. They also found, interestingly enough, that substituting the intakes of dairy milk users by those of soy milk consumers was associated with a reduced risk of about 30%. So not even having no association, soy was actually found to reduce the risk of breast cancer, similar to what I found in the older studies from 2013, right here, uh, 2013, 2016, and 2019. Now they're actually comparing it to dairy milk and they're finding that, in fact, it not only reduces the risk, but dairy milk actually has been shown to increase the risk. And another thing to note was no important associations were noted with cheese or yogurt. So this study actually just found dairy milk versus soy milk and dairy milk increased the risk. They didn't find the same with yogurt or uh, cheese. So you're in the clear there. 
Uh, prostate cancer was interesting. Uh, again, another cancer. Evidence from observational studies shows a statistically significant association between soy consumption and a decreased prostate cancer risk. So again, a reduction in cancer in uh, prostate cancer. Looking at all-cause all mortality, um, basically this is death from all causes, and this is a 2018 study, and the findings of this study found that there was no significant association between a high intake of soy products and all-cause mortality, cardiovascular disease, and cancer. And so this is a good thing. I mean, a lot of other stuff specifically has been able to show a decrease in these things, but they just found in this study that there was no significant association at all between high soy intake and any of these causes of death. So that is a good thing. Um, I think that if the study were done, depending on how the study was done, we may actually see a decrease in these risks if they were more focused. So a lot of the other studies I looked at were more focused with respect to, okay, we're looking at breast cancer here. We're looking at colon cancer here. We're looking at thyroid here, whereas this one was kind of just dying from all causes and they looked at people um what they what they ate and they kind of saw if there was a connection but again no association to all-cause mortality and so my take-home points as you probably have already assumed is too much of anything can be harmful that's the first thing everything in moderation in general um, do not fear soy. And again, it actually has a lot of benefits. So it's not only that it's not scary, but it actually has a ton of benefits that you've just seen. Um, go for a non-GMO organic soy. And that is the main thing I will say, because I think a lot of these studies that are showing negative things or um, possible and negative things have the genetically modified high pesticide residue soy and the problem is is a lot of the soy is owned and cultivated by a company called Montesano if you've heard of them and they have genetically modified soy and they also use glyphosate so that is the problem with a lot of our soy is a lot of it is contaminated with pesticides I would say limit processed food in general. This includes processed soy foods. So if you're if you're basically trying to eat more plant-based, but you're using that to just eat soy burgers every single day, then that's probably not going to be good for your health either. So try to stick to things like edamame. You can have tofu here and there. Get organic non-GMO soy milk. Um, that sort of thing is, is really great. You can always roast uh, edamame. It's a really great source of protein. And then you can have your soy burger once in a while, but just don't make processed food. Uh, the switch that you do from eating meat and I think that's the main harm is when people are switching from a veget or a carnivore based diet and they're trying to go to a plant-based diet and they're trying to substitute all their meats with soy uh, so getting soy chicken fingers or ch fake chicken fingers or soy burgers and soy all of these sorts of things that are just soy because they're trying to be an alternative to meat and I think that's where the problem lies so making sure that you are getting stuff as pure as you can and if you're making the switch to being more plant-based just be more plant-based just get more vegetables as opposed to trying to imitate meat or just add more veggies to your diet and have meat less frequently have meat once in a while uh, and the last thing is don't always believe everything you read unless you have good evidence to back it up um Dr. Google, I have said it before and I'll say it again, can be an incredible place to get information, but a lot of the times we have 
access to so much information that we don't really have access to any because it can be overwhelming trying to interpret what we're reading, trying to see what the good evidence and the bad evidence is and what we're supposed to believe and how it applies to us individually because everybody is truly, truly different. Uh, So that's all I wanted to convey with respect to soy. I hope this was helpful to those who had questions about soy and were wondering if it was okay, if it was not okay, who should take it, who shouldn't. Um, If you have any questions, drop them below this video. Otherwise, uh, thanks for